0: Excited to continue this study, we're calling it the Great Doctrines of Our Faith and Their Relevance for Our Lives. We we are we are reminding ourselves, studying the great um, doctrinal realities that we believe as Bible believers. We believe as Baptists. We believe as Evangelical Christians. These are the doctrines, the biblical doctrines of our faith, and. We need to know them so we don't forget them and get led astray. We need to know them so we can rejoice in these doctrines. Uh, And also, uh, we want to be able to... um to, to think about how these doctrines apply to our lives. That's why if you look at the top of your sheet, it says the great doctrines of our faith and their relevance for our lives. So hopefully this will be more than just kind of a dry doctrinal study. The, the point is that we remind ourselves of some great biblical realities and how they affect our day-to-day living, their, their daily relevance for our lives. So the first two weeks, if you haven't been here, the first two weeks we talked about the doctrine of revelation, the fact that God reveals himself to us. He speaks to us. Uh, we talked about general revelation. He speaks to us through creation and conscience. And then special revelation, he has given us his word. And we were encouraged to, to cherish the word and love the word and dig deep into the word. And, uh, and that has been uh, the, the, the focus over the last couple of weeks. Now we're going to shift to um, studying what the Bible says about God. The doctrine of God. theology, the study of God, is what we're going to talk about tonight. And when it comes to the doctrine of God, uh, theologians uh, usually uh, uh, use two different categories to discuss the doctrine of God. The first is the nature of God, who God is, what He's like. And the second category is the works of God. So who God is, what God does. Those are kind of the two different categories. So tonight... And next week, we're going to talk about the nature of God. And then probably the next week after that, we'll talk about the works of God, what God uh, does. So we're going to talk about the nature of God tonight. That's that first blank there on your notes. Number one, it says the nature of God. And again, there are a couple different categories here. So I'm going to give you a big word, all right? Uh, Sometimes Christians get scared of big words. But I'll remind you, refrigerator is a big word. (laughs) All right, no one's scared of their refrigerator, all right? Uh, there, there, there are some words that are important for us to understand. And, and so this is in your notes. We're going to talk about the the incommunicable attributes of God. Incommunicable attributes of God. And then next week we'll talk about, uh, maybe next week, maybe two weeks, we'll talk about the communicable attributes of God. And all that means is this. Communicable is a word we know because we think about communicable diseases, right? Things that spread, thing, thing, things that you have that you can give to somebody else well communicable attributes are attributes of God that we can live out uh, not perfectly because we're we're finite but but things we can grow into for example god is love and we can grow in our love for each other right god is patient we can gr- <laughs> we can grow in our patience right uh, and we can those are those are communicable attributes those are things that god is that we can live out and we can reflect But tonight we're going to talk about incommunicable attributes. These are things that God is that we ain't. All right? Bad grammar, good theology, all right? Things that God is that we things that God possesses we do not possess. I'll just give you an example. Like um, omniscience. God knows everything we don't. Right? That's the incommunicable attribute of God. And those are the things that make God, God. So we're going to talk about the incommunicable attributes of God tonight. Now, the reason I give you that phrase is not to just, you know, just to throw it out there. But, but if you're reading some different Bible studies or theology books, you'll come across that phrase. I just want you to be familiar um, with it because this is the classic way that theologians usually, usually discuss the attributes, the nature of God. So we're going to look at... Three attributes of God tonight, and uh, then I think next week we'll look at five or five or six. But the first one's going to take us a little bit of time, so uh, we're going to just look at three tonight, and then we'll have our uh, church conference. Number one, or first bullet point there: God is triune. God is triune. T r i u n e. God is. In other words, when you put together all of the verses that speak of who God is, you will see that the Bible presents the doctrine of the Trinity. You will not find the word Trinity in the Bible. But the doctrine of the Trinity is there when you put all of the pieces together. And it's progressively as the revelation of God unfolds in our our Bibles, the 66 books, we progressively see different parts of the doctrine of the Trinity and we're able to come to an understanding of who God is. God is triune. So let me give you just a, a definition of what I mean when I say God is triune, then I'm gonna kinda of break down that definition so you can see that it's a, a biblical definition. The Bible teaches that there's one true God eternally, that word's important, existing in three co equal so, and uh, co eternal persons. We'll talk about that some more in a moment. Co equal persons. The Bible teaches there's one true God eternally existing in three co-equal persons. Who are they? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we, we learn a couple things here. First of all, we learn that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are a co-equal in, in that they are all God. And the three persons of the Godhead are eternal, all right? Uh, they've eternally existed. The one God eternally exists in three co-equal persons. So let's kind of break down the definition. First of all, there is one God. There is one God. Christians, Bible-believing Christians, are monotheistic. We do not, not believe in many gods. We believe in one God. The Bible teaches this very clearly over in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. The famous Shema, uh, statement of faith that the Hebrew families would recite over and over again. It says, Hear, o Israel. That's why it's called the Shema. The word here is the Hebrew word Shema. So, Hear, o Israel. The Lord our God is one. The Lord is one God. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might or your strength. And so, that's the Hebrew Shema. And the very beginning of that statement of faith is this, this statement that God is one. There is one. One God. We are monotheistic. It also speaks to that in 1 Corinthians eight verse four. It speaks of God being one God, James 2:19. So there's one God, not three gods, not many gods, one God. But look at the next the next statement. Again, we're unpacking that definition. There are three persons who are called God. All right? One God, three persons who all possess. The godness, the, the, the essence of, of God. So who are, who, who are the three persons called God? Well, the Father is called God. The Father is called uh, God. Uh, turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to have you turn a little bit tonight. And I'll take a couple questions. So if you have a question, just jot it down in your, in your margin. And we'll get to it, maybe. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. This is the famous Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, verse 25. Jesus talking says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So he mentions here the heavenly father. Everybody see that? Jesus talking about his father. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God, so I'm not the Heavenly Father, and he calls him here God, if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you, of little faith? And this passage deserves an entire sermon, so we may get to that. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of who? God and His righteousness. So, talking about the Heavenly Father, then He calls Him God and mentions His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Over in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, also the Father is called God. So, so God the Father possesses the, 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 um, the essence of divinity. He is God, alright? The Son is called God. The Son is called God over in John chapter one verse one, the Bible says, "In the beginning was the Word. The Word was uh, with God, and the Word was God." And so, very clear statement that whoever this Word is, He was existing with God, as we, we would know that know that God is God, the know Him as God the Father. So you have God the Father, and you have the Word existing with God the Father, and you say, "Well, who's the Word?" Well, in John chapter one verse fourteen, the Bible says, "The Word became flesh." And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory full of grace and truth. And it it mentions there Jesus. And so uh, Jesus is called God. He was the Word who was with God, the Word who is God. And then turn over to Hebrews chapter 1. I want to show you this, Hebrews chapter 1. Another great passage about the divinity of Christ. And by the way, there's a lot we could talk about here. But, But let's just look at Hebrews 1. Verses 1 through 4 mention Jesus, the Son. God spoke to us through His Son. And then in verse 4 it says, Having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So He's saying Jesus is higher than the angels. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my Son, did they have begotten you? None. That's the, 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 God, the angels are not His, his, his children. Uh, Jesus is His Son. Uh, or again... I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, speaking of the highest, firstborn there means highest or preeminent. When he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And then in verse 8, but of the son, he says, your throne, what? O oh God is forever and ever. The scepter of our brightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And so very clearly there, Jesus is called God. He is divine. And by the way, if you research church history, if you look at some of the cults out there, almost all of them begin to diverge from biblical Christianity when it comes to the nature of Jesus. They, they get it wrong when it comes to Jesus who we know is fully God and also fully man. We'll talk about the doctrine of Christ in, you know, in a few weeks. So the Son is called God. And then third, the Holy Spirit is called God. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, uh, when Ananias and Sapphira uh, lie about the money they're giving to the church, they sold some land and they gave some of the land, uh, money to the church, but they acted like they were giving it all. And uh, Peter says, you lied, to the, you, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And he says, you've not lied to man, you've lied to... God calls the Holy Spirit their God. Uh, Hebrews 9 calls the Spirit the eternal Spirit. Only God has e- e- eternality as, a, as an attribute. And so the Holy Spirit is called God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 as well. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three persons being co-equal, they're all fully God, and co-eternal are, there it is, fully God. The three persons being co-equal and co-eternal are fully God. So it's not like the Father and the Son and the Spirit make up God. It's not like a... I heard a pastor say this one time, and it was shocking to me because he was teaching heresy, and he didn't even know it. But he was saying he had a pizza. And he said, the is like a pizza. You have these different slices, you put them all together, you have a pizza. And he was teaching uh, partialism, that, that you, you put Father, Son, and Spirit together to get to God. And that is not the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity is... Father, Son, and Spirit are all fully God. They're all fully God. The fullness of God dwells in them. Colossians 2.9, uh, John 8.58, Hebrews 9.14 all speak of the three persons being co-equal and co-eternal. And there's a quote there from Wayne Grudem you can read on your own time uh, because he's saying that the, the the doctrine of the Trinity speaks to all of God's attributes. And, and it's a really cool uh, statement. But but look at that next sentence. This is where it kind of gets back to... to Relevance for our lives. The doctrine of the Trinity is directly related to the gospel. So, th- talking about the Trinity is not just us, you know, discussing some highbrow theology. That's not what this is about at all. The, the, the gospel, or let me say it like this your salvation is at stake if you dismantle the doctrine of the Trinity. And here's what I mean by that. If you don't have the doctrine of the Trinity, then there is no substitutionary atonement. And if there's no substitutionary atonement, then there's no payment for your sin. If there's no payment for your sin, then you cannot be forgiven. If you cannot be forgiven, you're separated from God. If you're separated from God, that's really bad news in this life and in the next, right? So the Trinity teaches us that the gospel is uh is is, is true and 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 The Trinity has to be true for the gospel to work. So, for example, let me show you what I mean by that. So God the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. Jesus Christ took on human flesh in the womb of the virgin Mary. And He was born of Mary, fully God, fully man, fully human, fully divine. And that's a big deal because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to save sinners like me and like you, right? Now, for Him to be a Savior, He had to be a substitute. He had to be human. He had to die for humans. God's a God of justice. And so for humans to be forgiven, a human must die. So he had to take on humanity to die in our place. But to be our sacrifice, to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay, he had to be fully God. Because we deserve infinite judgment. Because God is infinite in in nature and character. And so only one who is infinite could pay the price. Only one who is infinite could pay that penalty. So Jesus had to be fully God and fully man. So when Jesus was on the cross, all right, having lived a perfect life by the power of the Spirit, all right, third person of the Godhead, Jesus is on the cross, fully God, our substitute, our sacrifice. And then God the Father is pouring out his wrath that our sin deserves. So all three persons of the Trinity are working to bring about atonement for you and for me. Everybody see that? And if you remove deity from Father, Son, or Spirit, if you, if you veer away from the doctrine of the Trinity, you have no substitutionary atonement. For example, there one view is called modalism. And modalists believe that, and this is, you'll see this in one is Pentecostal and some other groups, but, but modalism believes that, that God was one person at a time. So they, they teach that you know, God was God the Father for a while, then he stopped being God the Father and he became God the Son for a while, then he stopped being God the Son and became God the Spirit for a while. And so he's kind of one at a time. Well, if that was true, if Jesus was on the cross as God, who was pouring out the wrath? Who's pouring out the punishment? You see, you take away the Father from the equation, and you take away substitutionary atonement. So the doctrine of the Trinity is directly related to the gospel. Uh, the Bible teaches the Trinity, and we see how the gospel is made possible because of the doctrine of the Trinity. So it's a, it's a really big deal. And you say, Pastor Wade, I don't understand it. You don't have to understand it. But you do need to be able to articulate it. And you do need to be able to understand when there's error. You need to understand enough to know when someone says something that's wrong, you say, oh, that's that's not right. And again, most of the time, it deals with the character and nature of Jesus. It deals with the, the divinity of Christ. And so the doctrine of the Trinity is directly related to the gospel. It's a big, big deal. You take away the Trinity, you take away salvation for you and for me. And I don't think any of us want that, do we? All right. So that's the doctrine of the So I'll, I'll take a question real quick on the Trinity before I go to the next uh, couple. Any questions on that that I can uh, that I can tentatively try to answer? Can, can you go back to the point you were making? Jesus is fully man, fully God, and therefore he fulfilled these roles. Yes, when Jesus Christ was born, he you know again Jesus is eternal; he's always existed. We'll talk about that in a few moments. He's always existed. Uh, as the second person of the Trinity, but he left heaven in our minds, the way we understand. He left heaven, he took on humanity in the womb of the Virgin Mary. So at that moment in human history, Jesus became the God man. He took on human flesh. That's why the incarnation Christmas is such a big deal. He took on human flesh. So he was born, he was born fully God and fully man. All right? That's the, that's the doctrine of, of Christ, the nature of Christ, so that he could go as our substitute. And die in the place of humans like us, but also, he, as God, he could pay the infinite sacrifice that we deserve to pay. Does that make sense? He could pay the infinite punishment that we owe because he is fully God. And so that's the, again, uh, the doctrine of the Trinity directly related to the gospel. I answer your question, or, or yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there's a verse that speaks of this uh, in, in really a beautiful way. Is uh, the book of First Peter, where it speaks of the value of His sacrifice, and over in um, First Peter, um, chapter one, He says, "You were not you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ." What made the blood of Christ precious? It, divinity. He could, he could shed his blood and pay the infinite debt that you and I owe, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. And so this speaks of the, the, the precious payment that Jesus made when he shed his blood for you and for me. So uh, any other questions about the doctrine of the Trinity tonight? I know I'm going fast, but any other, any other questions? Uh, we, I did a teaching on the Trinity a few years ago here, but uh if you rem- if you're in that, you remember that I said that there are really no good metaphors there are really good no good object lessons for the Trinity, and people try and they try, but they they all teach heresy, <laughs> they really do, for example, you've heard that God is like water because water is is can be liquid uh water can be uh vapor and it can be solid, it can be ice, right, but a molecule of water can only be one at a time it can't be. It can't be vapor and solid at the same time. It changes from one state to the next. And so so and I, I think I've I think I've probably done this in my life, but if you if you if you use the, the the picture of a ice cube, you're actually teaching modalism, not the doctrine of the Trinity. Or pizzas, partialism. And so gotta be very careful. We won't say he's like, give me, give me, give me a give me a picture, a symbol so I can understand this. And uh, nothing really works good because we're talking about God, and none of our earthly things really communicate the doctrine of the Trinity very well at all. So we just go back to what the Bible says. and say the Bible says there's one God. The Bible says there's three persons who are called God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that's the Trinity, right? We've got to just rest in that. So let's go to the next two very quickly, and then we'll, uh, we'll close down for, for the night. God is triune. secondly, God is eternal. God is eternal. Uh, Turn to Psalm 90. We won't look at both those verses. Turn to Psalm 90, verse 2. This is a psalm of Moses, the only psalm attributed to Moses, which is quite interesting, and Psalm 90 is one of my favorite psalms. But Look in Psalm 90. uh, Let's start in verse 1. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So he's he saying there of the Lord, before creation came into existence, you were there. And from everlasting, eternity past, and you're from everlasting to everlasting, which means you had no, you had no beginning, you will have no ending, and, and God is eternal in his nature. Now, if you begin to really think about that, it will twist your mind into a pretzel. Because we just can't think about um, eternal existence. It just we can't wrap our minds around it. We we think oh, there's got to be a beginning. There's got to be you know got to be a beginning. Uh, but but with God, there's not. God has always existed. He's he's always existed in eternity past. If you read John seventeen. You get a little insight into what was happening before God created the universe. We see this picture of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, existing in perfect communion and harmony and joy for all of eternity past. And uh, that's pretty awesome to study. But God is eternal. That means God has no beginning or ending. He has always existed and will always exist. So rejoice, and this is the, kind of the, the relevance, rejoice that our God stands outside of time. We are so limited by, by time and, and, and opportunities we have in this, in this life, but God is not. He stands outside of time. It, it's all in his hands. God is eternal, which is an amazing, amazing uh, reality. Uh, and again, all three persons of the Trinity who are fully God, possess eternality okay and this is important because some people may think if they hear the christmas story well jesus was born of mary that's when jesus came into existence that's that's not accurate he's always existed and he left heaven and came to earth and took on humanity in the womb of the virgin mary and if you remember our months and months talking about jesus in the old testament he was active in the old testament before he was born of Mary. So God is eternal. That's his character and nature. And then let's look at this third one. This one's a little bit harder to understand, but it's very important. God is self-existent. God is self-existent. Turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. This is Paul's sermon in Athens on Mars Hill, another great passage. He's preaching to a bunch of philosophers. They love to get together and talk about some new religion or new idea. And, uh, and Paul points to an altar they had to the unknown God. And he begins to preach. And look what he says in Acts 17, verse... Um, let's look in verse uh, 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God. So what's the Bible saying here? It's saying that God is dependent on no one or nothing to exist. God doesn't need anything for his existence. He exists in and of himself. In fact, over in John uh, five twenty six, Jesus speaks of the Father. and He says, the Father has life in himself. And as the Father's life in himself, the Son has life in himself. He doesn't derive life. He doesn't, he, he's not sustained by anything. He simply exists. He is life. He is self-existence, which lines up with eternality because if he was there before there was anything, then he had to be self-existent in that Uh, situation now again let me give you another word that theologians use just so you're familiar with it it's the word aseity a-s-e-i-t-y aseity a-s-e-i-t-y and it comes from the latin which means from himself and so the aseity of god means that god has life in and of himself he's he's dependent on nothing he's dependent on no one and so uh, our god Now, this is going to shock some of you because you may have heard somebody say this a little bit differently. Our God does not need us. If he he desires relationship, it's just grace. We bring nothing to the table. We add nothing to his existence. He doesn't need us. We need him. He is is self-existent. And that's what it says over in Acts 17. Uh, Paul very clearly says that... uh, God does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. He needs nothing. Now, I was in a, a country in Southeast Asia on a mission trip. And because we're recording this, I'm not going to tell you the country. But I went to a large um, Buddhist place of worship. And, I mean, this was a very, very large place. And we, um, I, I, hate to be, I hate to be barefooted in public places, but they make you take off your shoes and that's not really part of the story, but I just remember that. Uh, having, having to walk barefoot in, in this temple. And, and uh, we were, we, it was so big, there were escalators in this, in this Buddhist, Buddhist temple. It was, a, it was a pagoda. We're going to these escalators, and i never forget it. On your way up, you could look over, and there were little rooms on the side and people doing things as you're going up to the, the top of this temple. And people on the sides were actually building... Their gods. I mean, like craftsmen, they were working on their gods. Here's what they do. They they would build their god and get the god all ready. Then they would pick that god up, take it to where it needed to be, set it down, and then start to worship. Think about that. Their god needed to be moved. I mean, I'm not not trying to be funny. I mean, really, think about that. Think about worshiping a god that needs your help to get from point A to point B. And and these people were so, it was very sad, very heartbreaking. We were there to pray and pray for the people there and pray for that city and that country uh, because it was so sad to see people uh, fashioning these idols with their hands. And and the Bible says we, we don't fashion God. God fashions us, right? He makes us. And, and he doesn't need us. We need him. And and I'm just so grateful that, that we can... Uh, live in relationship with a God like that through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so here's the kind of the takeaway, the, the relevance for your life and my life. Live in dependence upon Him. You need Him. He doesn't need you. You need Him. So live a dependent life. I mean, uh, tell Him you need Him. Uh, go to Him every day in prayer. Seek Him. Uh, walk with Him. Talk with Him. Because we need God in our lives. But He is He is self-existent. But I'm just so glad to have a God that that I don't have to fashion, and I don't have to carry, and, and, and I don't have to protect. You know, God is God, and uh, he is the one true God, and, and he is self-existent. So we need to remember that very, very important um, reality. Uh, before we close, any, any questions about these three aspects of the nature of God, these incommunicable attributes? Any questions? I'll take one question tonight. We've got a church conference. Any questions tonight? All right, perfect understanding. Good. Perfect these are not ideas where everyone have perfect understanding on, but we want to grow in our knowledge and, uh, and, and learn these things and uh, Marvel. I mean, really, basically, you know, this is over in Isaiah that we are to behold our God, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to just behold our God. What, what's the Bible say about um, our God? So let me pray for us, and then we will uh, transition into our um, church conference. Father, we're grateful tonight for your grace and your mercy and your love, and we're grateful, Lord, for the opportunity to study your word and to uh, focus upon uh, what your word says about you and just to rejoice that we serve a triune God, one God existing in three co-equal, co-eternal persons, uh, a God who made a way for us to be saved. Uh, we're so grateful for, the, for, for, for um, our Father, God our Father, that the way that you planned, uh, predetermined this plan to to, to make a way of salvation, we're so grateful Jesus that you that you are obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. we're so grateful Spirit that that you uh, empower Jesus during his time here on the earth and and that you take the work of Jesus and apply it to our lives and and we're just so grateful for the the work of the Triune God in our salvation and we stand in awe of who you are God you are eternal, you are self-existent uh, you are great and glorious, and we love you, and I pray that we would uh, continue to grow in our knowledge of you. We'll thank you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.